Rusty Quill presents. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, guys. I am proud to announce that Wobegon, music from the podcast Season 3, is available now. The album is 18 songs from the Season 3 soundtrack, remixed, remastered, and recontextualized as standalone songs. This is the season featuring Painted Glass and I Gave It What It Wants. You can listen now at Bandcamp at wobegonpod.bandcamp.com, and it, along with the other soundtrack albums, are available to all $5 patrons at patreon.com slash woe underscore begon, where, as always, you can get early access to episodes, instrumentals, soundtrack albums, Q&As, director's commentaries, and more. That's patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. And while I'm plugging, go check me out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash woebegonpod. I play games, write episode soundtracks, play acoustic guitar, and just hang out. Special thanks to my ten newest patrons. Guro, Colin Stahl, Milagro Padilla, Ty Galas Rowe, Wheels Wheeler, Crispy Cream, Cabin420, Dakota Smith, Artemis, and Hype Boost for supporting the show. Enjoy.
I spent a week not talking to Ty Betteridge. Ty made several attempts per day to get me to talk. Needless to say, these attempts were not successful. I would be led from my quarters, quarters that were identical to the quarters that I had last time that I was stuck in the compound, into an interview room where I would remain silent. All that I would say was, I want to leave, after which I refused to speak at all. Ty Betteridge was as polite and as professional as ever, a disposition that had soured on me since I had time to think it over since we last met. It was a weapon, and an effective one. Refusing to speak to him while he was being so courteous to me made me feel like I was being a petulant child. It made me want to change my tone to match his. Looking from an outside perspective, this is obviously a false equivalence. I was being held hostage and Ty was not. There was no reason that our demeanors should match. Every day was the same battery of questions. From your perspective, Mike, what happened the night that Hunter, Edgar, and yourself entered Tier 2? What do you know about my employment at Over? What do you know about Casimieris Brezina? What data did you uncover while you were working with the other Over employees? And about a dozen or so other questions that all added up to, tell me everything you know. Always the same list of questions which I always refused to answer. Then I would be led back to my quarters where I would eat ashamedly ravenously in these first few days. The compound was generous with food. I'm sure that they were trying to ply me with food in exchange for answers, rather than being motivated by altruism, but my stomach couldn't tell the difference. Between the stresses of the stakeout at Over, the time travel, the forest, and the walk to the compound, my body was unconsciously focused on obtaining and hoarding resources. Therefore, it comes as no surprise that it took quite the mental effort to overcome these instincts when, after a few days had passed, I decided on a hunger strike. Melodramatic? Yeah. But you protest with whatever you have, and all I had was my body. I had been here before. The last time I was here, they made me play Wobegon. I had no idea what they planned for me this time, but their imaginations were capable of much worse than my own. I wanted to leave and I needed to convey just how serious I was about leaving. I only had control over one thing, my body. It was the only thing that I could hope to persuade anyone with. It only took Ty a day to notice that I had been fasting, likely because I sent my dinner back rather than pretending to eat it. He gave me the usual battery of questions, and I gave him the same answer. I want to leave. He proceeded as usual until all of the questions had been asked. Then, before escorting me back to my quarters, he looked me up and down and said, matter-of-factly, You can starve yourself to death if you want to, Mike. We aren't a prison. Your quality of life isn't being scrutinized by anyone on the outside. I'd strongly advise against it, though. My understanding is that starving to death really hurts. I don't think it's a pain that you've become accustomed- At this point, I launched myself over the table at him. I could feel my hands on his throat, gripping it but not choking him. And then- I was back in my quarters. I didn't feel the effects of time travel. Instead, I felt woozy. I might have been transported back into my room, or I might have merely been restrained and sedated, unable to remember the moments in between the attack and waking up. I had a note clutched in my hand. The inside of my palm had deep marks from my nails pressing into it while I was holding the note. It read, I would also advise against doing that. Signed, Ty. I tore up the note. That was all that I could do, which was an admission that I had no power at all. I smelled something. I looked over at the desk in my quarters. 
there was a dinner tray sitting on the desk. The tray had biscuits and gravy on it. What a fucking monster bringing biscuits and gravy into this. Undeterred by what I assumed was Ty's posturing about letting me starve to death, I successfully made it another night without food. The night was long, and my sleep was fitful. I kept waking up from nightmares to the smell of biscuits and gravy pervading the entire room. After three frustrating attempts at sleep, I picked up the tray, went to the toilet, poured the contents inside, and flushed. The biscuits were rather resistant to being flushed down the toilet, but with some breaking up, they eventually made it down the pipes without clogging them. I looked down at my hand. There was a long smear of silver gravy across the scar where a flinchite boot had stabbed through my hand months prior. I brought it up to my mouth and licked it, instinctively, as though I were sleepwalking. I had broken my fast but had done nothing to sate my hunger. It was a mistake. It activated my body. My body thought I was finally going to eat. I stayed up the remainder of the night, my metabolism kicked into high gear and slowly learning all over again that there was no food to be had. I was dragged the next morning, tired and demoralized, back into the same interview room. Ty entered. I braced myself for the same questions. I could see a faint red mark on his neck. You know everyone is dead, right? Everyone, he said. I sighed. I didn't know... But I suspected as much, I said. No, Mike. Everyone, he replied. Ty's polite smile was gone, replaced with a more appropriate scowl. Yeah, everyone at base, I know, I said. I was holding out hope, but I know. I don't think you understand. There was you, still alive, obviously, he began. But then there's Edgar, Marissa, Hunter. Hunter, I asked. Ty kept going. And Anne, Chance, Shadow, Charlie... Charlie, what? I blurted out. Ty wasn't done. And then there's the Mike and Edgar that you had working at Over in your stead. Fuck, I muttered under my breath. Plus, the two future Mikes that were running special ops for you in this time period. I can account for those two I was involved. The rest came as news to us. There was a pause. That's all of them, I think. Counting repeats, that's eleven people, at least. Those are just the ones that are on our radar. I let out what could only be described as a squeak. Like that? I will take that to mean that you didn't realize the extent of the damage, he said. You killed Mike and Michael? I asked. Do you mean future Mike and the cowboy? He asked. Then, yeah. I could feel my body tensing up. Ty noticed. I will remind you what happens when you leap over the table at me, he chided me. You understand what you told me, right? You're telling me that you killed me, I said. I would think that you would be used to that by now, he said, and likely relieved to have the cowboy off your hands. Was he like that all the time? I could barely make it through one phone call with the guy. Why should I believe you? I asked. My head was in my hands. You clearly do believe me. I want to know how you already suspected, Ty said. Because Hunter fucking killed us. Okay, I don't care anymore. Hunter fucking killed us, I said. He's quite the shot, that Hunter Jeremiah Hartley, Ty said. I should know, he chuckled. Wrong Hunter, I said. There are at least three of them. Hmm? Ty seemed confused. 
I mean the one with the scar on his face, he explained. Yeah, there's two of those also, at least two. Why am I telling you this? I asked. Because you enjoy being helpful, Ty said. That's a good quality to have, Mike. Thank you. That information is very helpful indeed. Are you going to tell me how you were working it over? How Hunter shot you and now an older iteration of you is here at the compound? I asked. Hmm. No, Ty said. Are you going to tell me how you got biscuits and gravy even though you told me we're in Latvia? We are in Latvia. You can trust me to tell you the truth, Ty said. The breakfast was courtesy of Latif at the Old Brush Valley 24-hour diner itself. Time and space aren't an issue when it comes to procuring goods here. We were hoping it would bring you some comfort. Latif says hi, by the way. I think he might be the only guy on Earth to only have positive things to say about Mike Walters. His smile was back. Well, at least Latif is alive, I said. You have some information that we want, Ty said. You know that we want it. We've been asking for a while now. I imagine that you would like some of your compatriots to be alive again. We have things that we can offer each other. Why didn't you mention this before? I asked. We are negotiating. I was seeing if I could get some cooperation for free, he said. That doesn't sound fair, I replied. My stomach gurgled. We are not in a fair relationship, Ty explained. Though I do wish that it weren't so asymmetrical. Are you an arbiter? I asked. I don't know what that means, Ty said. You were wearing a mask that night in Tier 2. You were running Wolbegon, I said. Oh, then yeah, he said. Though I'm not going to elucidate on that. But there, that's something for you. And I can get you more of that. Eleven members of your team died. But if you're willing to cooperate, I think that we can pare that number down quite significantly. Prove it, I said. Start with Mike and Michael. <laughs> oh, uh, not a chance with those two, sorry, he said. Those two were sniffing around the compound and have the potential to be quite dangerous. They're going to stay at the bottom of the ocean. I was thinking more along the lines of... Edgar. I tried to push away the mental image of Mike and Michael at the bottom of the ocean. And what heinous thing am I going to have to do? I asked. I told you that I am always going to tell you the truth, Ty said. His eye contact broke briefly, and he stared off to the side for a moment. You will receive instructions tomorrow morning. What am I going to have to do? I reiterated. You should eat before then. You won't want to be on an empty stomach, Ty said. My imagination is going to make up something worse if you don't tell me, I said. No, it won't, Ty said. You will receive instructions in the morning. For now, we should take you back to your quarters so that you can rest and eat. I sat there, elbows on the table, head still in my hands, not moving. My eyes were closed. I had a throbbing headache and my stomach had been talking all morning. Up, Mike, up, let's go, Ty commanded. I didn't move. Come on, up, he said again. I felt Ty poke me in the ribs. Sorry, Mike. I don't mean to badger you, but we need to get you back to your quarters. This interview room is booked for the rest of the day. I still didn't move. Mike, you know how the transport hurts. I can already hear your stomach. You'll be miserable if you don't walk out of here on your own two feet, he said. I laid my head down on the table. I'm sorry, Mike. I really am, he said. 
I imagined him shaking his head, disappointed in my decision. Fuck it, let him be disappointed. Then, I was back in my room, on the bed. I could feel the effects of the travel this time. I retched as though I might throw up, but there was nothing on my stomach. When the vertigo subsided, I sat up and looked around. Same room, a new tray of biscuits and gravy waiting for me. Thanks, Latif. If only you knew that biscuits and gravy could be used for evil. You would save me. Well, probably not. You would keep your head down and not say anything. And that's why Latif has lived for decades in Old Brush Valley, and I couldn't make it a year without getting captured. Twice. It's alright, Latif. I understand. You do what you gotta do. We all do. I spent a few hours that afternoon catching up on my captivity hobbies. I paced around in a little circle, classic. I muttered to myself. I sang parts of a song that I didn't know the words to. Uh, this time it was You Make My Dreams Come True by Holland Oates. But I want you something, something, something. I yelled at a plate of breakfast food. I sat down for a while because I refused to eat and I was getting dizzy. I locked myself in the bathroom for a while so I didn't have to look at the food, which I was too cowardly to flush down the toilet again. A grand old time was had, to be sure. Perhaps owing to my fresh eyes viewing the room after some time away, my eyes lingered on something strange when I exited the bathroom. I could see some stuffing from the mattress poking out from the underside. Curious, I pulled back the fitted sheet and examined the mattress. There was a hole dug into it, which appeared to be scratched open by fingernails or a dull object. I reached my hand inside suspiciously. When my arm was about elbow deep in the mattress, I felt something that didn't feel like the stuffing of the mattress or the springs. I pulled it out. It was a crumpled set of pages and a pencil. I went over to the desk, sat the breakfast tray on the bed to make room, and smoothed out the pieces of paper. They looked as though they had been crumpled for a long time. The pencil writing was beginning to smudge and fade with age. It didn't take long for me to recognize the handwriting. It was my own. I hadn't written the letters. I had lost a small amount of time due to my outbursts, but there was a clock in my room and I wouldn't have time to write these notes and then forget about them in the time that I had lost. For all of their faults, the Flinchites did seem to keep me in a linear time as much as possible. The notes were letters written to Edgar from my point of view. They detailed the excursion that I had just been on, the one in the forest. The one with the starvation, the bilberries, the bears. The one that ended with me walking right into the compound. The letters detailed this time in exacting detail, demonstrating knowledge of having actually experienced it. In between tales of this story that I had lived through, there were fragments hinting at something that I didn't remember. It hinted that I was being made to do barbaric and horrible things in order to placate the Flinchites, things that I was too ashamed to even name in the letters, things that were presumed that Edgar already knew about, horrible things from our past. The letters sounded despondent when it came to these subjects. It reminded me of how I thought about Edgar and what happened in the Pacific Ocean, a subject too horrible to breach, something that must dwell under the surface and never come out. It was that, multiplied by what appeared to be multiple other incidents. I was not the Mike Walters that wrote those letters, and the Mike Walters that was originally captured by the Flinchites months ago didn't write those letters. This Mike Walters was one that had emerged from the forest, just as I had. 
It was an iteration of me that had to have been made after I showed up. An iteration made without my knowledge or consent. Maybe they did it after I attacked Ty. I would have no way of knowing. They could have done whatever they wanted and I wouldn't have noticed. Regardless, the other Mike Walters had a much different week than I had, apparently. Was the other Mike in here? In the compound? Did they get our room switch when they moved me? Where did the other Mike go? What was he doing? Pointless questions to ask because there was no way to secure any answers. My thoughts rushed. I thought about the horrible things that this Mike was having to do, the things that Ty was going to instruct me to do the very next morning, no doubt. I thought about Edgar. I thought about how hungry I was. I sat down on the edge of the bed. The biscuits and gravy sat in the tray beside me. I knew that I was a small fish in a huge pond, but the vastness of what I didn't know overpowered me for a moment. I sat there, staring at the wall, aching for a plan. The plan came to me that night. Thankfully, I had managed to restrain myself from eating the biscuits and gravy. I got out of bed and went to the bathroom, leaving the lights off. I bundled up the whole roll of toilet paper and stuffed it into the toilet. Then, I took the biscuits and gravy and piled it on top of the toilet paper and flushed. The toilet flushed reluctantly, threatening to back up. I took my socks off and stuffed them into the toilet as well, along with my shirt. I put my shoes on and flushed the toilet again. This time, the toilet successfully backed up. I flushed three more times, until water was flowing out of the bathroom and into my main quarters. I left the bathroom and began rapping loudly on my locked door. Help! Ty, uh, anyone? The toilet's flooding, I called out. Help! It took a few minutes for anyone to notice me and come to help, which only made the flooding situation worse. A man in a maintenance jumpsuit arrived at my door looking perturbed. I could see him through the window of my door. Hey, um, I went to the toilet and the whole thing just backed up, I explained. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's, it's flooding the room now, and I know that if we don't stop it now, it's going to warp the floor, and we don't want that. I could hear the fumbling of keys. I moved to the side of the door in anticipation of it opening. The seconds dragged as the maintenance worker found the right key. Finally, the door opened, light from the hallway shooting into the room. As soon as I saw the door open, I pulled hard on it, forcing it open further and dragging the unsuspecting maintenance worker with it. I got a look at him as I pushed my way past him. He looked older, less mobile than me. I could get away from him. There was no security with him. I leapt over him and started running down the hallway. I could outrun him. All I had to do was outrun him. Whatever they pay you, it's not worth catching me! I yelled back over my shoulder. There's no way he heard me. If anything, he heard some garbled nonsense about pay you and catch me, but it was really more for myself than it was for him, so that didn't really matter. I sprinted down the hallway. They had led me down this hallway when they brought me in from outside. Unlike the first time I was caught here, I knew how to get away. I knew where the front door was. I knew where the front gate was. I knew that there was a road in front of the compound. If I could make it to the road, I could make it to safety. And if I couldn't, I could make it back into the unforgiving wilderness. It would have been better in the forest than in the compound. I would be going in just as hungry as when I left. I could only hope that the bears or whoever it was would leave me enough berries to get by until I could figure out what to do. Much as with Over, it was considerably easier to get out through the front gate than it was to get in. The guard was on the outside, and by the time that I made it to the outside and kept running, there was little that he could do to stop me short of shooting me. 
He could have done that. I was half expecting that to be the way that things ended. But if he was thinking of doing that, he hesitated, likely because he was awaiting orders that weren't coming fast enough. I kept running. I could feel myself gulping for air, being weak and out of shape from the whole ordeal, but I just kept running. My chest burned. I kept running. The letters kept saying, just don't die. Just don't die. Just don't die. Get to the road or get to the forest. Just don't die. Good advice. I wonder who came up with that one. I made it to the road. I heard a car screech out of the compound parking lot and come barreling toward me. I ran the opposite direction, knowing that it was futile to attempt to outrun a car. If any car could be outran, though, it would probably be this one. It was a beat-up red Eastern European car. It pulled up beside me and honked, weakly. I kept running, refusing to look back at it. It honked again. I kept running. Mikey! A voice called out to me. I spun around. Mikey Walters! Quit running! Turn around and see who you're running from! It was... It was Michael. Who did you think it was? Some other cowboy? I did the voice and everything. I looked inside the car. Michael was hanging out the driver's side window, trying to get my attention. Mike was in the passenger seat, looking mildly embarrassed, as he should have. Smoke billowed out of Michael's pipe and into the chilly Latvian night air. Get in, dipshit! We're going for a ride, Michael yelled. I bolted toward the car's passenger side rear door, flung it open, and launched myself inside. Go! I shouted. I made a jailbreak. They're coming for me. You don't gotta ask twice, Michael said. He punched the accelerator, the tires squealed, and the car took off. Can't go too fast, though. This thing don't do good over a hundred. That's kilometers per hour, which is like 60 miles per hour, I think. That's fast enough for a getaway, and Michael's a creative driver, Mike added. Good to know, I said. They, Ty, told me that both of you were dead that he saw to it himself. And you believed him? You really think that Ty Betteridge could take down a cowboy? <laughs> Michael said. He gave it his best shot, Mike said. What about the others? He told me that everyone was dead, I said. The mood dropped. Neither of them immediately answered. That's what we've been led to believe, too, Mike said. But we're working on it. We'll tell you the plan when we get back to the apartment, Michael said. This ain't the first time the whole group's been wiped out. Won't be the last. Just take some elbow grease is all. Are you sure? Hunter destroyed it all, the whole base. I'm sure he took the calculators with him, I said. Don't worry about that yet, Mike said. You're here, and you're safe. We're going home. That's all that matters. I hate to sound ungrateful, but I know how you guys were living last time I was here, I said. I haven't been eating at the compound, and I am fucking starving. Is there food at your house? Yeah, we got plenty, Michael said. Let's see, we got boar meat, we got boar meat, we got pork chops, we got loin, we got ham, we got shoulder, we got jowls, we got pickled pig's feet, and we've got the head stuffed and mounted in the living room too for some reason, Mike added. But it's a long drive home. Cooking can wait for in the morning, Michael said. Hesburger? Hesburger, Mike concurred. I don't know what that is, I said. It has the word burger in the name, Mikey, Mike said. Hesburger it is then, I said. 
We sped off into the night, towards warmth and safety, towards a plan to get back all that had been taken from us. It's always getting colder in my head, don't you recognize the thread pulling on both sides until it falls apart. I'm always in my head, don't you recognize the fever? From the feast, I cannot seem to keep it down Give it all, guess 
Toilet, 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 toilet. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.